It's Guild Ball Tonight, your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode 44 for August 30th, 2016. All right, well, hello and welcome to the Guild Ball Tonight podcast. Now, I am your host, Phil, and joining me tonight is uh, our co-host, Bill. How you doing there, Bill? I'm doing okay. I am uh I'm on day five this month. <laughs> or day six this month back in uh back in my house. So what are there? Two days left in the month? <laughs> I think so. Okay, good. Well, you know, summer's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm home. Yay. <laughs> so uh so what do we got going on uh, tonight? Well, we don't we don't have a lot of news this uh, this episode, but I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. And then we are going to have a uh, a good number of segments. I know we're going to have an an interview with uh, Sherwin, who uh, is going to talk with us about uh, some of what in went into writing season two, uh, and then. We uh, we also have an interview with uh, community member Zach Stein, who wanted to talk about uh, uh, non non traditional format games for casual play or for uh, oddball tournaments. So I think that's uh, that's coming up, and then uh, probably be some more some more stuff in there somewhere, and then uh, Twitter questions as always. So. Uh, let's go ahead and get to it. Now, normally I would say uh, let's start with the news, but uh, was there any news in the last two weeks, Bill? Anything that I, we actually wanted to cover? Really. I, I I will say this. I, I would like to, um, to to make a couple of mentions. And uh, I know at this point, since it's about New England, uh, good old pundit Alex is is not high Alex. High Alex, but Alex Straub <laughs> up in New England is uh, currently cringing. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely want to say a big thank you to the guys, uh, Martin and, and Jared who run the battle standard, uh, the battle standards out as a store out of Connecticut and they have a store up in Massachusetts in Auburn, Massachusetts. And also want to make sure I say a big thank you to Patrick who owns game on down in uh just just outside of providence in warwick rhode island uh two fantastic stores in new england that anybody up in the new england area who wants to play guild ball should go check out uh after quite a bit of rabble rousing i went and checked those two stores out because i was able to find games at them uh, but yeah, no, I, did, I wanted to mention them and say very much thank you to both of those, uh, both of those those stores and their owners, because uh, it was nice to find some Guild Ball games. Very good, very good. All right, and then uh, so what else? Uh, what else happened in the last? Cause, I mean, I got some painting done. That was yeah. You painted a couple models, right? That's I news. Painted. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm still trying to finish my hunters team, which, admittedly, I have been taking forever on, and and. I've got five of them painted now, but I don't know. There's just something about Hearn. Like Hearn was the model that was going to take me the rest of my life to paint. And I'm not sure why it was just maybe because he's so big that like every little section was a big section. And there was just something about something about it where I was just, 
uh, I, I just w- didn't buckle down and just paint them. I would be like, I'm going to work on this one thing and then I'm going to move on and do something else with the rest of my night. And it was just like, it took me forever, but now I've got, uh, I've got so Jakar up and he will be the, the last of my starting lineup of six. And then, uh, I'll just, now I will say out, uh, Jakar is the model that gave me the most fits painting my hunters. I surprisingly in the last week, I also finished my hunters. Yeah. I haven't played with him yet, but finished him. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't played with my hunters yet. But um, Jakar is so crouched over that I glued them all together, put them on his base, and then went, oh, crap. <laughs> I kind of want to pry his arms back off. Um, yeah. But yeah, Herman was very his, easy for me. Some of his color separations are a little tricky. I'm going to have to think. I'm going to have to think him through, I think. But yeah, and then I've been working on mascots. Uh, you know, I came back from Gen Con with all the mascots, and I've got, uh, I'm kind of working through them in the order that I most want to use them. So, of course, I painted Strongbox first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I painted Vile Swarm. I painted Rolando first. No, no, I painted the Armadillo first because, because Armadillo. And then, uh, and then I painted uh, Quaff next, and I gotta tell you, Quaff turns out. I mean, like that's just a really good model of a dog. I mean, like regardless of whether it's a Gilball model or in any other kind of model, like if I ever needed a model of a dog for a game, I would just buy another copy of Quaff. Like he's solid. I, I got to admit, I plan to liberally rip off your paint scheme. <laughs> well, I just it looks damn good. I just googled Saint Bernard. <laughs> it was that easy, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just you know took some life models from for him and just you know, okay, well, they've got black here and they got like red here and they got white there, and okay, well, he's done. Uh, so yeah, you know, and now I'm just I'm I'm just working my way through them, and so it's it's good to have it's good to have models to paint again, you know, because. There was that that uncomfortable period between when I finished the last of the season one models and the early season two models and then had some time before the Hunters came out where I didn't have any models and then kind of lost the plot when the Hunters did come out and wasn't in a big hurry to paint them. And now I've got a backlog with the with the mascots and the hunters, so it's like I got to get my I got to get myself back into uh, back into uh, the the swing of things and actually painting on uh, on something of a, a decent pace. So. so, so I got a question for you about your Rolando. Yeah. As you were painting him, did you just completely? I mean, I know fan, fantasy miniature, but. Did you just suspend disbelief and paint up the metal plates? Or did you find yourself trying to figure out how the hell they drove these metal plates <laughs> into this into this uh, armadillos? They, they stapled them to the poor beast. <laughs> I mean, well, my thing was I was I kept trying to find his tail. Like I was looking in the blister pack, trying to figure out where's his tail. Cause last time I checked, armadillos had pretty prominent tails and Rolando has neither ears nor a tail, and those are like the two things that uh, that I always think of when I think of an armadillo. So, 
So maybe this is a British armadillo. And since yeah, they don't and I think that's I there, think that's what it comes down to is they've never seen an armadillo in their life. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense. So so I have a much more I have a much more personal relationship with armadillos, having having had to deal with them digging up my yards, jumping in front of my car, scaring me on camping trips, and otherwise. Uh, threatening me with leprosy because um, turns out they carry leprosy, and uh, I don't even know whether to fully believe you on that one or not. <laughs> no, it's true. Only, only apparently they call it Hansen's disease now. Uh, it's not uh, leprosy has a stigma. <laughs> you know what with the colonies and all. How armadillos can spread leprosy? Hey, this I, is fantastic. I am nothing if not truthful and honest in every uh, non-sarcastic oh segment. So what you should know about armadillos and leprosy in the Huffington Post about right. a leprosy outbreak in Florida. Right. So I always said that, that Rolando should should uh, cause poison <laughs> on his attacks, but I guess people weren't listening to him. Right. I just think pieces of him should fall off on the field. <laughs> Well, they're carriers, not victims. Oh, okay. So, so, oh, okay. Never mind. That joke is just going to be bad if I carry it on. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah. So, the armadillo. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was in a hurry to get him done, but I'm very tempted to pick up another one to kind of put some some personal touches on to to make it more of the. Uh, more of the Lone Star beer mascot that I was after than the. Uh, I was surprised to see him standing bug. up straight, not holding a beer, laying on his back. Yeah, well, that's because the only armadillos you've seen for the last several months have been that picture that I've posted. <laughs> you could have been. taken the last several months out of that sentence, and it still would have been entirely true. Yeah, that's true. Well, no, I've also posted the Kraken side eye photo 426 times. <laughs> So, you know, uh, yeah. So painting, that's something I've been doing. It's not really news, but I guess it's a, it's like a status update, right? Well, I felt it was important to go ahead and paint my own hunters. That way I could continue to show up and record. <laughs> yeah, you do feel, uh, although I've kind of enjoyed playing, uh, paper dolls hunters for the last few months. It's, it's old school and. You know, I, I do I do love things that bring me back to the early days of Guild Ball. So nostalgia is a uh, is a, a a sensation which I am uh, gifted with you, in spades. Do 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 we play and talk about Guild Ball, Phil? Uh, sometimes. I, sometimes. Oh, okay. I, I played Guild Ball recently. I, I heard I heard we should check. Yeah, there aren't many people out there who know who we are. So, <laughs> only only well placed people. Um, <clears throat> so moving I, on, I, I got a press pass. Um, <laughs> so we, uh, yeah. So why don't we go ahead and uh, skip right on into our our interviews here, and. Uh, we will be back on the other side for uh, maybe a few more Twitter questions than than usual this week. So, see you on the other side. 
All right, so returning to the show this week, we have the Guild Ball lore author, uh, Sherwin, who is joining us once again, this time to talk with us about uh, the Season 2 story, which I'm sure you have all read, and if you have not, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, uh, we're not going to be considerate and not spoil anything, so you might want to pause and go read it. All right, so how's it going, Sherwin? I'm, I'm not doing too bad at all, Phil. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, of course, of course. We uh, we had a chance to talk about just about everything except the storyline at Gen Con a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. We were saving it for this really well. Exactly. Right? I think that's the exactly. So we uh, wanted to, to get with you and talk about what... Uh, kind of the what went into the story for season two and where that leaves uh where that leaves the guild ball world and uh why don't we go ahead and uh i guess start with the the big question is of course obviously you you really made an effort to take the take the characters out of their familiar surroundings in in season two and and transport them to to a a a location that was if not neutral at least unfriendly and what was sort of the what was the idea for for doing that after it was such a a metropolitan and partisan setting for the season one story uh, I think it was, uh, I mean, the main motivation for going into season two, having sat down with Matt and had a long chat with him about what direction it was going to go into, uh, that sort of stuff, uh, really was that we wanted very much to have a tournament setting, um, purely because of the bigger league's rules, which we knew would be in the season two book, Okay. Um, as well as kind of a sort of change of focus there. We, we kind of really sat down and thought, well, we want to have a tournament and have the real story arc developer, rather than over a season as it did in season one, uh, we really want it to be something where it's condensed down to that particular tournament or event. And uh, I kind of sat there and thought a little bit about it and and came up with this concept of this uh, cup, uh, which would be right at the start of the season, so it wouldn't necessarily affect too much any events going forward. We wouldn't have a sort of a, a time gap, as it were, where we sort of skipped ahead, you know, sort of a year, for example, and find ourselves there. I think there's a lot more immediate stories that needed to be told, but at the same time, it was it was something where I kind of wanted to have a sense of putting season one's events on on pause, as it were, so we could sort of really explore this universe and flesh that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main drives for focusing it in the sort of grim north, as it were, this really kind of uh, primordial part of the universe, was was basically the hunters. Um, it, the focus with those guys, I mean, after sitting there and having a look at some of their concept art and also having a quick chat with the designers about how they really wanted them to play out and what sort of a themes they had going there, it became readily apparent they, they weren't really a civilized society kind of guild. Mm-hmm. I mean, much like you have morticians or alchemists, or especially alchemists, um, you know, engineers, butchers, any of the others all kind of exist within a city sort of environment. The hunters literally really do exist on the fringes. And as a result, well, as a result of that, that kind of necessitated a shift in our universe, sort of to where you might find them. Bearing in mind also, because we hadn't mentioned them at all before, um, it really was sort of justifying 
how it is that they come to be in the game. One of the worst things I hate in literature at all, whenever I read it, is, is having a universe where you have a random character or, or event turn up that, as yeah, the author is desperately trying to tell you, has existed for the entire time, just no one's paid any attention to it or them. And with our hunters, I was very careful. I, I, do, I definitely wanted to avoid that. Right. So like I kind you could have gone for that whole fish out of water story with the hunters coming into the city, but that may have felt uh, a lot. That would have given them much less opportunity to sort of uh, introduce themselves in their own way than than to have gone with bringing everybody else into the into the hunters' milieu. Yeah, so that kind of felt a little bit cliche uh, to play with. And mm -hmm. also, I think it wouldn't necessarily give them the right feel for who they were. And as soon as you sort of go to that angle, you kind of build them into this this sort of comedy sideshow where they kind of turn up and they're the awkward guys who don't ever really quite fit in. It doesn't really showcase why it is that people would have any sort of real concern of them coming in. The last thing we wanted them to do is, is coming and be fairly sort of toothless, as it were. Right. Kind of. That's kind of something we definitely wanted to avoid. No, it makes sense. I think that I think taking that that avenue with them definitely gave them uh, gave them a lot more mystique than than as you said, making them a, a bit of a sideshow. I think uh, I think you made a, a good choice there. So what uh, what was the what was the thinking behind? Uh, really changing the focus away from the the machinations of the union and somewhat towards the machinations of the morticians or obvious in particular are we just are we seeing a real shift in who is exercising power or are we just seeing the other side of the story there's a couple of things um, outside of the story honestly I, I kind of wanted to give a bit more focus to some different guilds, uh, purely if nothing else, to kind of the worst. The worst thing in the world is when you read a piece of literature and for games, and it always focuses on the same guys. Mm -hmm. And if you're not a fan of those guys, if you play a different army or faction or whatever, you kind of get frustrated with the lack of information about your guys. And I've, I've definitely always kind of keen to avoid that whenever we guild ball. And uh, to a certain extent, it kind of made sense to sort of step away from some of the stuff that was going on with season one and give some new guys a bit of time in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly that, that didn't necessarily cross over into the Union too much. It definitely did with the butchers and the fishermen. I think with the Union, honestly, it, it kind of felt natural that they wouldn't really be in this setting too much. Um, you kind of created this universe, or you it kind of had this feel to the universe where everything was, was really about the hunters and why they were there and their sort of power and this sort of new frontier and the union very much definitely feel very metropolitan by comparison they don't really feel like they should really be there as it were i mean you've got the two that do turn up which is hemlock and minx who are who are the obvious sort of outcasts as it were but the others i mean someone like avarice and greed for example don't really feel natural in that sort of saying i didn't think mm -hmm. it would have felt quite forced so no that that makes sense so what was uh, what was your favorite part of the the story to work on? What what part really had you most excited? Do you know everyone loves uh, the Garth scene? Yeah. Everyone loves that scene. But in all honesty, I'm always a sucker for the openings. Um, <laughs> I, I loved 
the most the most fondest memories I have of riding the season was probably the opening section where you have calculus kind of on the on the ship looking across, and uh, the story about kind of um, about Mercury freeing and set the ship on fire and then ultimately being seasick and kind of turning into a laughing <laughs> joke. So that, that 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 part was probably the most sort of fluid, just writing where I sort of sat down, had this idea and just wrote it out and went. Right, I think right. that that's, that was good. I mean, otherwise the rage part felt fairly organic. Uh, that felt uh, sort of the part where he kills Blackheart. That sort of came out quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's yeah, honestly, the opening is probably my favourite part. Well, do you enjoy writing the the sort of long? story sections or are you more fond of the the sort of short character vignettes that, that accompany the 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 card sections basically honestly i think they i think they both have their uh, their appeals i personally probably enjoy the story a lot more the, the downsides of the story is if you're not careful you just write pages and pages of stuff and can't possibly fit it all in and have to edit it down which mm-hmm. always feels Kind of, uh, kind of like a killing a child. You know, it, it's it's a case of you take all this wonderful stuff and you sort of go, you know what? Can't put any of this in. I'll just have to get rid of it now. Um, which is always unfortunate. Maybe at some point I'll be lucky enough to turn up with a uh, a uh, expanded literature or expanded world and we can put it in that perhaps. But uh, there's a, there's a few bits that are kind of not made past the cutting room floor. I'm afraid. Ah, uh, right. So, so what? Uh what, which uh, well, I don't want to get into details, but what was the, the in 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 vague terms? What was the hardest thing you had to cut? Uh, there was originally a little bit more with Hemlock. Uh, she kind of had a little bit more impact into the universe, other than just being the crazy lady on the boat, <laughs> uh, which is kind of how she ended up being. I mean, she she served her role relatively well, sort of introducing the setting that way, mm-hmm. but originally more going on pitch and there was a bit more reason for the alchemist to kind of not really trust her or want her on the team uh, I agree um, with you. But, and it's not yeah, just because she uh, she lost uh, an inch of uh, Mealy's head <laughs> <laughs> no no nothing like that it was I, to be honest it's one of those ones where sometimes the characters can do things or obviously as what they are which don't necessarily match up with their uh, with their stats, or don't necessarily match up with what their people's in-game experience of them is. Mm-hmm. And we're always very keen to make sure that our players match what they do in the literature quite closely to what they do on the game. So on right. the field. Well, now that you are now that you are devoting more of your own time to to Steamforged, are we going to start seeing? Story that is outside of the of the publications. Are we going to start seeing more on the website or on in other avenues? It's early days yet, but I've had this conversation with Matt. Um, hopefully so. I'd, I'd like to think so. I mean, obviously, it's really down for. Uh, it literally was a conversation I had with Matt about this. It, it's all kind of spitballing ideas around at the moment. Uh, we've got a few other bits going on, um, sort of you know to to go through, but. Yeah, hopefully so. I'd like to think so. I mean, one thing uh, looked at sort of you know what possibly could add to social media outreach or various other different avenues. It's really just a case of working out the right setting for it and the right type of format for it as well. In terms of whether you release, you know, you have a month where you release something every week, for example, and then sort of gradually tell a whole story. Whether you do just a big slab of this is a new big story as a teaser. Yeah, you know, there's different ways to approach it. It's really working out the right way of doing it. 
Right, okay. right, right. Very good. So, what? Uh, which of the new characters uh, do you like best as a character in terms of season two? In terms of yeah, first season two. Sorry, you have to forgive me. I'm, I'm kind of uh, my head is in season three at the moment. <laughs> since that's what I'm writing. Uh, season two, I really like Zerola. Yeah. Um, she, if actually, if it was a piece that came relatively naturally, it's definitely her. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I think that was pretty much almost first draft, good to go. Uh, when sort of sat down, and started writing her, writing some of the characters where they're much more primal uh, is always. No, I don't want to say easy because it's not, but it just feels very organic to write. It, it, there's no, if you're literally just sort of playing the hunt of the moon and that sort of stuff, it, it's it's quite natural to do. Um, I like what the character is. Um, I like this sort of hunter girl who's never really known anything of uh, of anything of civil society. back in anything of civilized society at all. So she's kind of just literally is in the wild. She knows of the other animals, doesn't really understand even the, the knife that, or the bowler she uses in hunting, mm-hmm. or why it is that she's actually been born with these weird paws that have elongated fingers. Um, <laughs> she, she's literally just, that's who she is. I mean, there's some quite interesting stuff coming up with the hunters in season three, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't actually go too necessarily too far away from what we were suggesting earlier. And Zerola is one, Zerola is one element of that. I and mean, she's got a real culture shock going into the Empire of the Three Cities. Really, because suddenly she's surrounded in a completely alien environment. Mm. Oh, I'll bet, I'll bet, I'll bet. So what? Uh, you know, we, you know, when we left off the at the end of the story, we had uh, we had maybe the the last hurrah of the of the mace. We have uh, you know the the hunters coming into the picture. What? Uh, what uh, should we be looking forward to? In, in season three and, and you know not in spoilery terms but just in terms of you know maybe where maybe where we're going in, in, in a big picture sense absolutely um, well season three is really going to pick up where the story arc is really going to pick up where series one uh, sorry series uh, season one sort of set off uh, ended as it were mm-hmm. so we're going to go back to that point obviously the Season two events have still happened, but right. they literally happened sort of a couple of months after the event of season one, and now we have season two. So it's really going to be hit the ground running, and we're back. And okay. now we have where the butchers are, where the fishermen are. We've got Obulus still in the mix. Uh, you've kind of got the reaction, obviously, of what's been going on. So you've you've got what's going on with Ballista and Midas. Um, you've got various themes running through the different uh, through the different guilds. And one thing that I've tried to do with season three so far, and will continue to do so, is is really pick on a couple of themes that are running through them, and sort of just keep on going. So that way, anybody who's a fan of those guilds won't ever feel that they're left out, as it were. There should be plenty in there for everybody. Very good. So what we're seeing then is that the uh, the seasons don't necessarily represent a year in the life of the game world. It's 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 more of an arbitrary unit with the the sales seasons than than being twelve month cycles for the story as well. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely that. It's I think it's what feels organic to write at this point in time. I mean, 
I think my, time will tell whether it's something where it feels natural that season two is just an anomaly, uh, or whether it is a case that it is exactly as you said an arbitrary period of time. I suspect it will probably go towards uh, the latter, and, and it will end up being that season two is the anomaly. Uh, it feels much more uh, contained mm-hmm. and much more uh, direct to write a season from start of season to finish of season, if that makes sense. But sure. we'll see. Um, we'll find out. I mean. One thing that's definitely happening um, as I write season three and is, is getting all of the stuff that was in my head for season one didn't really sort of make it into it. And then uh, definitely for season two, it's really expanding it well. And the universe is just expanding at such an alarming rate. It's really trying to fit it all in. So. Absolutely. So can we look forward to revisiting the, the older characters uh, at... Uh, you know, at an individual level, or just having them show up in in the larger story arc. No, no, you should be uh, you should be quite content in the sense that I, no one I don't think is being left behind at all. I don't think um, everybody's everybody gets to uh, turn up and say hey for the camera, or at least shortly, if nothing else. It's uh, it's like one of those it's like one of those uh, movies I think like Predator or something. Everyone turns up at the end and kind of has their moment where they you know their name appears and they get to wave to the camera. <laughs> it's uh, something like that. Very good, very good. All right, well I think that uh, too many more questions and we'll start getting into spoiler territory and we don't do spoilers anymore. So <laughs> there you go. I said that. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, well, I know I am looking forward to seeing where uh, to seeing where the story goes, and I, I've always enjoy reading the reading the biographies and the, the storylines, and, and seeing the seeing the game, you know, take on a uh, a character and a shape, and that's uh, that is your work. So thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. It's very nice of you to say. Hopefully, right. your uh, listeners enjoy it as much. Very good, my friend. Well, we will talk again uh, probably sometime after uh, Season 3 comes out. Yeah, absolutely. After and we revisit this conversation. Yeah, we will revisit, uh, we will revisit the Guild Ball world and uh, see what kind of a mess you've made at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. All right, so tonight on the show, we are going to be joined as well by uh, another one of our uh, frequent traveling uh, companions, and that is uh, Zach Stein, who uh, has been uh, at, oh, many of the many of the events that we've been to over the last year. And, and Zach actually holds the distinction of being one of the one of the people who has had the opportunity to beat me at Guild Ball. <laughs> so uh congratulations on that uh it's more of a uh statement of your uh fortune in actually uh pegging me down to play a game than than, than skill but i'm not saying you're bad i'm saying i am well, well you you did actually play uh, uh gutter into midas so I, I can't take too much credit for that well you know what you know what <laughs> happened there and and at the time, I told you, oh, I'm try- I'm just, I refuse to accept that you can't play whoever you want against Midas, and I'm just going to keep playing Gutter just on principle. But what really happened was you put out some, let's see, you put out some, uh, like, engineers and some alchemists, and I just got confused. 
<laughs> so I wasn't actually sure what you were playing. And it was such a long day that I was just kind of in one of those eh, kind of moods. <laughs> so it was uh, it was an interesting game. It was closer than it should have been. Yeah, no, it was a good game. And, you know, I, I was still in that midst of having my brief flirt with, oh, Midas can steal these abilities and do awesome. Before, you know, I realized that people can actually play against them and do okay against them and know how to play against Midas. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did you know, notice was, that your uh, your love for the for the alchemist seems to have uh, withdrawn a bit. But, uh, you know, I think that... Uh, Everybody goes through. Everybody goes through their phases where they they're up on a team one week and uh, ready for what ready for the next challenge, the next. So I, I still love the Alchemists. They were they were my first team, so they have a spot in my heart. You know, Absolutely. I've been playing Smoke more recently, but uh, you know, it, it, it's when when you begin the game playing playing Midas and Obulus for for a hundred games or so, <laughs> you kind of <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean. I guess you did have to play Jason a lot for the first six months of yeah, Guild yeah. Ball. We, 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 I, I lost a lot, and then when I started learning how to win, then you know I felt good about myself. So there you go, there you go. All right, so uh, so you are not here tonight to talk about weird things I have done at conventions. You're actually here <laughs> to talk about uh, alternate formats, which is a topic that you have been thinking about a lot lately and writing about a lot lately at uh at the blog that you and tate do uh which you are free to plug of course Uh, yeah it's parting blow you know i try to i try to (laughs) stick it out there in as many formats as i can whenever i'm you know post an article or something like that so you know i haven't been hitting as much as i'd like to lately but you know hopefully hopefully i can hit it more and more as time goes on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know things will go but but yeah um you know, the fun formats, you know, especially, you know, I come from a war machine background. So, you know, I always enjoyed when I go to conventions, not necessarily hitting the competitive edge of things, but, you know, hitting the fun formats where you play, you know, with either, you know, like two casters or, you know, something like that, you know, where you're, you know, it's just something, you know, the idea is, you know, this is going to be broken, but it's going to be fun. And, you know, it's just a different experience where you don't get stressed out about, oh, I have to be number one so I can qualify and get into masters. And, you know, that sort of thing, which, you know, I think is a healthy thing for any game to have in its community, especially when you come to conventions. You know, not everybody wants to play, you know, that that highest level of, you know, I have to win so I can be the best, you know, sort of sort of thing. Well, I uh, I can't imagine not being interested in playing competitively. I, I still enjoy winning no matter what the format, but, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's when, when, when I get in competitive, uh, you know, competitive games, you know, it's like, I'm almost relieved when, if I, if I lose the first round, cause I'm like, all right, I can have fun the rest of the tournament and just kind of do the crazy things that I want to do. And, you know, try not to try not to stress out too much. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, everyone has their own, their own motivations and, uh, we will not, uh, we will not impugn any of them mm-hmm. again. So, uh, so let's talk about some of the some of the weird formats that you have been uh, trying or just uh, throwing against the wall. So, uh, what uh, what are you doing with capture the flag? Capture the flag. Okay, that's the format we talked about. Um, you know, Jason and I started a you know kind of 
talking about this a while back and you know just thought it'd be a good idea you know just like any kind of video game or anything like that you know capture the flag is basically based on you know you go over to your opponent's side you get the flag you bring it back you put it in your goal and you know you win the game um so you know in guild ball you know the idea would be basically you know each team has a ball which is their flag and uh you know the objective is to get your opponent's ball get it back and put it in your own goal and you know so instead of being a takeout game or you know a uh, uh you know just go you know playing to 12 or anything like that you know it's just basically you know one objective get the ball get it into your goal so um you know i thought this would be you know a pretty fun format something different it might be a little bit of a quicker game Sure, so, sure, sure. so um but you know then again i guess just depending on what you want to do um you know how you want to approach it you know different things can happen <laughs> yeah and i like that as a i like that as a variation on the the two ball game which i mean you also suggest the two ball game in the article mm-hmm. and it is it's it's certainly one that i i think is sort of an easy idea to to have but what i liked about capture the flag was that you took that um that kind of common sports tabletop game idea of well, what if we just put an extra ball on the field mm-hmm. and and kind of developed some more some more interest around it so i thought that was a i thought that was a very uh well well conceived and, and interesting variation there yeah what uh what is your favorite of the alternate formats that that is kicking around um well the, the one that you know i've been kind of itching to play is uh kind of the guild draft which, which i've been talking about which is basically where you take every model that'll play for a guild mm-hmm. and you know you kind of have a draft where you know each player you know you can only have one of each player on the pitch at once sure so you know you kind of take turns with your opponent you know drawing who you want to have on your team and i just thought that'd be interesting especially with the new mascots you know you couldn't really do that before right, you know two mascots, and two, two mascots <laughs> and two uh yeah Two mascots and two captains for all but one of the teams. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, of course, you couldn't really do it with hunters right now, but they might be left out of a few of these just based on, you know, they're, they're trying to catch up with, and everything. But, uh, but yeah, and I, I just think it'd be fun. You know, and it, it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, it's like, uh, you know, my initial thought was, you know, let's, let's just put them all in the middle and do like a schoolyard pick where I pick, you pick, you know, that sort of thing. But then, you know, the way the drafts work, and uh, War Machine for, like, draft picks and all that stuff is, you know, you kind of deal the cards out randomly, and then, you know, I take a card, set it down, pass my hand to you, you take a card, set it down, pass your, you know, so we each have a hand, we draw one, and then we pass the hand to the other person. That way, you know, depending on the draw, you may get a, you know, everybody, each person has, you know, a list of picks they can pick from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not just about necessarily, you know, in this way, saying, oh, I'm going to take the more powerful captain first. Because you know you might you know one person might get both get both captains, one person might get no captains, you know. So you're kind of saying it's like, well, who's more valuable to this guild? You know, right, right, right. It's not just who you know who's going to pick the captain first and who's going to get that going. So even and even in a choice where you know you're not getting the captain that you want, you need to decide. It's like, well, okay, I get this captain who's not my premier captain in my hand, but they probably have the other captain that I want. But let's take you know instead of taking the captain, let's take you know, a more valuable player right. so that, you know, it, it becomes, you know, a more interesting game. <laughs> yeah. And that, 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 that's another case, I think, of thinking past, uh, thinking past the obvious where you, by implementing kind of a pack draft uh, situation like that, you do avoid that inevitable 
Captain and Mascot picked first, mm-hmm. that would be the case for I would say most guilds. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be a handful of players who are such standouts that they might go before they might go before captains in certain situations, but I do think that that's that's that that little bit of tilt past the uh, past the basic concept that that really makes it work for that for that one. So definitely uh, uh, read up on what uh, what they've got at, at Parting Blow on the, on drafting because it does. Well, you know, like I said, it 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 works better than just the schoolyard pick format. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely do that. Now, what uh, I know you guys came from uh, that one game whose name I can never remember. <laughs> um, it's, it's such a small game, uh, and certain uh, certain alternate formats that are very popular mm-hmm. at convention type events for for that game. Uh, would uh would would translate very well to to guild ball as well. So what are a couple of those variant formats? Um well the most obvious is uh you know probably who's the boss. Um that's a big popular format uh within uh uh the other game. <laughs> but uh you know it's basically where you know you Oh captain. you can say it. It's Scrabble. It's Scrabble, yeah, yeah. Who, who's the boss in Scrabble? <laughs> you got to be able to spell the boss's name, which can can prove difficult in some some gaming systems, depending on which one you're playing. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, who, who's the boss is uh, uh, you know, basically where you build a team that's completely legal, you know, in your within your guild, and uh, uh, then you know there's there's a random draw b- between each round of the tournament where everybody gets random captain. And uh, so you know, and I know, right. I know, you know, since since I published the article and everything, they've mentioned since you know they've tried this a few times in England. It was fun. So you know, obviously, it's something that everybody that has you know that that background uh, you know has you know thought of and tried a little bit. So you know, and of course, with less captains than there are you know lead characters in in, in other games, then you know there there's you know less of a pool to draw from. But it also makes it easier to you know get all those together. And, you know, try to, you know, run this sort of format. Sure. <laughs> well, and realistically, you know, one thing about a format like that is that you really only need everyone who shows up for the game day mm-hmm. to bring the team to bring a team. And then you pull your captain models and you're going to have exactly one for everybody. Well, you know, maybe. Yeah. Pro- I mean, that that would be, you know, if you're doing it, everybody brings their captains and you just shuffle those around. You know, and we, we, we've done that in War Machine where, you know, everybody just brings what they got and you shuffle what you got for, for local tournaments and everything mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, I, I, I guess for like me who has all the captains, I can just take them all and <laughs> put them in there. And well, you uh, your your full collection was was absolutely a. uh a, a, a event saver at at Gen Con over on the uh, the full team demo tables. 
Yeah, I, 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 was, I was a little nervous at moments, but but it kind of you know I was happy to let other people use my models and do that sort of stuff. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, it's like once I came back, I was ready to get in and play some regular games. And of course, I had a couple new players show up, and they're like, "Well, how about you give us a demo?" It's like, "All right, I guess I can do that." But <laughs> yeah, story of my weekend. Yeah, but uh, croaking out that last demo mm-hmm. while chewing on ice and otherwise trying to to get as much voice as I could. So, uh, now one of the other, uh, articles that you wrote on, on the topic of variant formats was, uh, a fun, a fun little bit that you did on, on all-star teams, which definitely would be a slightly harder one to coordinate unless everybody had pretty comprehensive collections but might make for some really fun one-off games so why don't you uh give us a little introduction to that idea um yeah the the all-star is one you know i saw that format and kind of mentioned for uh steamcon and you know i was like all right that sounds like my sort of format and you know it's it's the sort of thing where you know basically you're building a six-man team out of all captains and you know it's just kind of crazy it can be completely broken you know i'm sure somebody will figure out (laughs) <laughs> you know, some way to, you know, make the perfect captain combination that will, you know, just completely break the game. And, you know, there'll be like three or four players playing that there, you know, but. But will every team have Obulus? Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, you know, is Obulus needed in every team? Actually, you know, I came up, when I was writing my article, I came up with a few, um, you know, different teams. And I think only one of them, you know, which I purposely tried, had either Abilos or Midas in it. So, <laughs> you know, I was trying to focus on the other captains and all that stuff. Degree and you know, just difficulty judge appreciates your effort. Yeah. So, you know, it's like it's like the first one I did was like ladies night because I was like, all right, let's just take all the girls, put them on a team and, you know, see how it plays out. And, you know, it actually turned out to make a pretty decent team. Mm-hmm. So you can do some some, you know, between, you know, I think a lot of these formats, you know, you kind of look at, you know, obvious or obvious is the obvious go to. And, you know, maybe Smoke is the one you want to stay away from because she's very specific in what she does. But, you know, whenever I was, like, kind of playing with these, it's like, you know, Ladies Night, it's like, all right, let's take Smoke because you got actually, you got Fire Templates coming from Esters. you got Bleed Templates coming from uh, Filet. So, you know, Smoke has plenty she could do, plenty she could spread around, you know, so so there's a lot coming from her where, you know, she could actually be a pretty valuable player in that in that team. Yeah, true. I mean, everybody has their niche, right? Yeah. Cool. You know, and, and then of course, opposite of the uh, ladies' night, I had the the true bromance, which is all you know, just like the the, the male kind of beatdown team, which uh, you know, I think the manly men. Yeah, the manly men. So you know, of course, you got like Corsair, um, uh, Hammer, Ox, Rage, um, Tapper, and uh, Blackheart in that one. Which I you know, I guess Rage and Blackheart will put it, put aside their differences just to be you know true bros for a while. But well, you know, I had a dream like that. <laughs> but we won't get into it <laughs> so uh yeah so i think uh i, I think that sort of a uh, yeah that, that's one of those things where i don't really know how how desperate i am to play <laughs> no <laughs> to play an all captain team but i do think that much like 11 aside or four on four or something like that if you've got some motivated individuals who want to play hmm. a wacky game, I think that is probably 
a very good format for a day of super casual gaming. And and ultimately, I mean, while while we have mentioned in several cases these being inspired by tournament formats or maybe being a good thing to do if like a one day event. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the the benefit to to casual play from these sort of break the you know break the uh not the monotony because it's not monotonous but you know break the the usual expectations sort of format uh games is is really one of the things that makes uh ideas like this so valuable it's just a way to for casual gamers to to do something a little bit different, expand the the role and the value of models in their collection, and you know maybe have a story at the end of the day to to uh, to tell around the campfire, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, and I think you know the key to you know playing in this sort of event is not necessarily trying to break the event and come up with that list that's you know, going to win everything because, you know, it's just so broken. But, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to have fun and come up with an idea that sounds fun and playful. And, you know, really, I mean, you know, a lot of this play, you know, kind of, you know, it can increase your ability as a regular player because, you know, you're kind of seeing options that weren't necessarily there before. And, you know, while these are extreme cases, they're still, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're still presenting opportunities to, you know, see things that happen in ways that, you know, you may not have seen them before. Sure. And, and I think that's the, that's the big payout there. You know, it's like, so, you know, a lot of people might say it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to do that because that's, you know, outside of the normal game. But, you know, you are seeing the way things work. And who knows, maybe down the line, you know, once more models are released, you know, models might interact in ways that, you know, have already happened with you, you know, cross factions or cross guilds and, mm-hmm. you know, do that sort of thing. And, you know, so you're going to be like, all right, I got head up on you. I know how that's going to work if that, <laughs> you know, actually comes up in some sort of play. <laughs> there you go. You you have gone through uh, extreme training. Yeah. There's a, there's a montage for that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, right now... You know, I'm personally very interested in sort of reclaiming casual play, right? Like, yeah. I, uh, I'm very aware that my own even dining table games have taken on too much of the competitive play style for for the values that that I try to bring to to play. So I do think that that some of these ideas are things that I am definitely going to to try out for a night or two just just as part of uh like I said just reclaiming casual play. So yeah, and and I think it's important. I think, you know, as a war machine player, you know, I wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I kind of, you know, I had a moment where in my war machine career where I said, you know, I don't like the way I was during that tournament, you know, I kind of became an ugly player mm. and, you know, I, 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 I kind of took a step back and I said, all right, let, let, let's think about what I'm really trying to do here. I'm not, you know, I'm not value, valuing myself based on how I do in this tournament. I'm, I'm you know, I just want to have fun and have a good time because, mm. you know, that's what it is. Mm. And, you know, I've always kind of considered myself, you know, more of a, a, a competent casual player. You know, I'd prefer, you know, a, a, you know, I, I want, you know, I want a competent game. I want, 
you know, a game where, you know, the person I'm playing against knows what they're doing and I'm not doing like gotcha moves and being like, all right, I'm just, you know, I know the game better than you. You know, I want, I want a fair playing ground where, you know, I know, you know, both me and my opponent are on a level field and we're playing a good game. And, you know, I don't, at, at that point, I don't care if I win or lose. I mean, yes, I prefer to win, but, you know, I would much rather have a good game where, you know, I know, you know, I've given my best and they've given their best and it's just kind of come out you know, one player or the other than, you know, trying to be like, all right, you know, I just dominated you. and You know, that was that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, you know me, I, I think that, that the, the attitude, uh, factor needs to, uh, needs to stay on, on one side of the, one side of the pendulum swing, but, I understand that uh, competitive gaming is competitive gaming, so yeah. we're not going to rehash one of those one of those old canards tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so while Zach is uh, is one of the first to to get to print on some of these these variant formats, it is it is worth noting that at some point we can expect a. Uh, a disorganized play um, set of suggested uh, non-standard formats from from official sources, and I think some of them may be similar to what Zach is thinking, and some will be different, and some of Zach's ideas will will stand alone, and both will certainly have their have their place in uh in anybody's uh planning and uh speculating on what uh silliness they want for their uh for their game night so i think that uh you know i would definitely encourage our listeners to if uh if there's any any other good ideas out there or ideas at any rate for for odd play styles, go ahead and uh, share them with us. Let us know what you're thinking. And, you know, I think maybe this is an idea that uh, deserves some follow-up on a on a future episode because I just think it's a fun thing to talk about. So send yeah. those in one way or the other, and uh, we, will, we will all appreciate hearing about it. So, all right, Zach. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you making your way onto the show finally. Uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> I yeah, guess it was, I, I, it was I, just a matter of time. <laughs> I, I definitely, you know, I do want to, I do want to hear feedback from people on these formats because you know I haven't got a chance to play test them as much as you know I would like to. So you know, mm-hmm. it's like I kind of put these ideas out there, and if people give me feedback, then maybe we can kind of, you know, formulate some sort of, you know, document of okay, this works, this doesn't. You know, yeah. definitely, definitely see that sort of thing going. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in. You know, kind of the idea of brainstorming and everybody throwing their eyes ideas out there, Very and good. you know, seeing seeing what sticks and what works and what comes together. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, with that, I think we are going to move on to uh, move on to our next segment. But uh, once again, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and we uh, I'm sure we will see you the next time I get on an airplane. All right. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> All right, my friend. <laughs> All right. So, something's been bugging me lately. Oh no. 
Phil's going to talk about aesthetics. So increasingly, I find myself, I guess, nostalgic for games that we played in the early days, you know, in the, the, the late play testing, early retail phase of the game. And I don't think that it's just simply a case of there being more novelty back then. I think that there's something concrete that may be different about games that I am playing today versus games that I played 18 months ago. And I think I finally figured out what it what it probably is. I think it's terrain. Now, back in back in the days before there was an organized play document, we really didn't have guidance for terrain. In fact, the terrain rules were written specifically more or less to allow you to put anything you wanted on the table and define it using a handful of parameters and then get going. Now, once the organized play document came out, however, there were there there were set uh, you know set uh, sizes for terrain elements. There was a set count of terrain elements that you should have, or at least a range. And there were minimums and maximums that were prescribed for competitive play. And so one thing that really happened with with me in particular, and, and I suspect that I'm not the only one who this applies to, but I went from playing on honestly fairly lush tabletops to playing on sparse tournament legal tabletops. And honestly, I think that's where some of the some of the visual impact that I seem to be nostalgic for has gone. You know, when when you go from playing on boards that have fast terrain roads running the length of them or obstacle fence lines running usually the opposite direction of the the roads or or uh you know hills and houses and uh little uh scenes really because one of one of the things to remember is that when this game was first hatched the notion was not that these teams were playing on sort of manicured professional stadiums they were playing, you know, in the in the field behind the village or in town square or just anywhere, literally, where they could put up two goalposts. And so terrain allocation, on my part especially, tended to follow that maxim. You know, I was thinking of these as places on the outskirts of town. And I was constructing them accordingly using my collection of wargaming terrain. 
But then when the OPD came out, I uh, I made a real effort to to put together a set of terrain that was appropriate to that document with the objective being to to play test under sort of competitive play standards so I made obstacles that sat on a a 40 millimeter base or maybe a 50 millimeter base I think it was a 50 millimeter base I made you know appropriately sized rough ground and appropriately sized fast ground markers and gone were the gone were the the stretches of roads gone were the fence lines gone were the hills gone usually were the houses and so what i've ended up with is tables that increasingly look exactly like tournament tables and i guess that kind of gets down to another issue that i actually have is that our tournament tables, they leave a lot to be desired. Um, you know, I think some of, I think some of this may be, some of this may be another incursion from that other game that so many of the, the player base and in fact so many of the designer base comes from where uh, terrain is prescribed and in, in many cases abstracted and in many cases even two-dimensional. And we get these sort of repetitive, sparse, uh, very limited uh, differences kinds of tables. And then you compound that to the fact that we're all playing on the same greenfield official mat. And you get the situation where like at Gen Con, where I was just looking down four long tables, well, eight long tables of, of mats where it was the same mat four times on each table. And it was the same five or six pieces of terrain on each one of those mats. And the only difference was some slight tweaking in physical placement. But more or less, it was just a swarm of obstacles and rough ground in the center third of the pitch. And on a certain level, that bothers me. Um, you know, I see other games where competitive play boards are a are a part of the hobby. You know, you you look at a game like I would say especially Flames of War where people go to great effort to construct scenic themed boards. But even other games, I mean, the, the kinds of boards that I've seen for Infinity or even for games like 40K with, you know, the, the sprawling gothic ruins are more visually interesting than what we are doing. And there's no, 
I mean, I understand the, the objective of the organized play document. But the outcome at this point is very, very monochrome. It's very monotonous. And, you know, maybe if we had three or four official mats with different scenes on them, maybe if we had people going to an effort to to use something other than the Solid Ground Studios terrain. And I mean, that may be more of a local problem than some other issues because that Solid Ground Studios terrain is what is in the U.S. Pundit kits, which is sent around to every significant event in the U.S. So we are literally playing on the same mats and with the same terrain for every event. Now, you know, you guys over in the U.K. or, or elsewhere might be playing more on your your local store or club's equipment and maybe that does vary a little bit more from location to location but i just i see no reason why we can't shake this up a little now at at the organized level i mean all we can really do is vary the what's printed on the on the on the vinyl mats and and maybe what uh, the, ter the terrain looks like, you know, maybe maybe we need to uh, get those terrain, uh, those official terrain packs in, and hopefully uh, they'll have two or three different designs that we can, you know, at least try to make the tables look a little bit different, or maybe we just need to find new suppliers, or old suppliers need to expand their lines into some new themes. I think we just need some new terrain, but then casually, from a casual play standpoint, and you know, this is the uh, you know the, the man in the mirror uh, situation. There's no reason to be playing on tournament specific tables when you're just you know, playing a game for laughs at home and you're not specifically practicing for or restricting yourself to tournament play. So the commitment that I've made to myself is that number one, I'm going to start getting out my old vinyl mats more because they have different, uh, you know, just different appearances, you know, as, as amazing as the official Gilball mat is. I mean, it's, it's indestructible. It's beautiful. It's, it's got a great feel. Dice roll well on it. Miniatures move on it. It's the perfect game mat. I've just seen it too many times. I need something new to look at. And the other thing is I'm going back to, more often than not, I need to go back to these uh, diorama tables that I used to build. Um the games could get a little wacky, but isn't that the point of casual play? Isn't that the point of just having some fun with your friends? So I just can't look at another table that looks like that. And uh, I know that I'm going to have a lot more fun <laughs> for coming to this, coming to this realization and for making this commitment to myself, if nothing else. And what I'd say to the rest of you is, uh, 
figure out your own ways to to shake things up and to keep keeping keeping the visual element of this game from getting t- too repetitive because right now you know just because of our limited options i'm afraid that it is and uh you know there there is something to be said for a game that draws spectators draws uh, curiosity draws, you know, an inquisitive passerby, and the the most effective way to do that is surely to have a visually impressive game. Now, I see many people at at events kind of crane their necks and try to figure out what game it is that we are playing. But I would hazard to say that if we had uh, more compelling boards that we were playing on, that number would surely increase. So this is this is like one of those uh, problems looking for a solution or solutions looking for a problem. I'm not sure which which direction it's going, but I don't know. Just. Uh, just feels like feels like we need to uh, feels like we need to recommit ourselves to the to the, the the wild variety of things that that we were doing in the early stages of the game when when there weren't official mats and there weren't semi-official terrain it's and certainly not prescribed terrain selection and sizes and choices because I remember you know I remember going on Twitter or on you know some other social media site that I don't like to use and just seeing the craziest things and things aren't as crazy as they used to be and that's that's risking becoming boring and the last thing we want to do is become boring All right, now that all that's done, we can get to our uh, our most uh, interactive portion of the show, and that, of course, would be our Twitter question segments, wherein Bill and I do our best to uh, root through the uh, the deluge of um, comedic responses we get every week when I ask you guys for Twitter questions. Not that I don't appreciate it, because I like a good laugh. But sometimes it does make it a little bit hard to find the genuine responses. But I'm not saying to stop. I'm just saying. I, I think work. they're all genuine. Yeah, okay. Oh, very good. I think they're all genuine. They're all genuine. Well, genuine, yes. Helpful, no. Um, I, I believe genuinely every one of these people needed to ask these questions. Yes, I understand. So the, the first question that we're going to get to this week is, of course, from uh, Tim Adams. Who asked us, uh, being new to Guild Ball, which uh, cards he should buy? The Season 2, Season 1, Big League. Uh, Basically, Tim, what I would say is, if you are playing at all, get the Season 2 cards. Yeah. If you are playing Big League, at that point, buy certainly the Big League deck. Mm 
And the Season 1 deck, if you're playing Big League, definitely get it. If you're playing casual games, consider getting it, because some of those cards were fun. But even if you're playing Big Leagues, you don't technically need the Season 1 deck. Uh, it just gives you more cards to choose from. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, is do you think it's definitely needed? I know in in my uh, in my local group, in the Big League, there were a couple of Season 1 plot cards that everybody... Everybody in the big league took. Everybody's taking Don't Touch the Hair. I know. <laughs> um, Don't Touch the Hair was one of them. Um, and unfortunately, as I try to frantically dig around for my spreadsheet, uh, Don't Touch the Hair was one of them. There was actually a couple of that surprised me. Mm. Um, sideline well, repairs. Sideline repairs is always a favorite of mine. Yeah, that was one that came in. I think that, and, and it was in the primarily scoring teams, like yeah. the fish and stuff. Sure, so. Sure. And the uh, the vengeance token cards could be uh, were always good ones to, to yeah. add as well. I was very surprised not to see those more. Yeah. Um. So, but I am kind of wondering, you know, I mean, and I'm going to find myself doing this as I um, will be starting a new big league in a couple of weeks that I can actually play in. And I was a little bit surprised to see. Um, they seem to drop out, mm-hmm. right? And and I don't know if I'm going to actually grab. I mean, don't touch the hair is really good, but I'm not sure how uh, how how necessary it is. Oh, you know the other one? That's the other one. Uh, is it immediate response? The one that lets you immediately make a counterattack if the ball gets tackled from you? Oh yeah, that was. Um... Yeah, I, I don't remember the, 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 the catchy name on that one. must not have been catchy enough. Yeah. But it might have been immediate response. It was something like that. that so so those, were, those were some of the ones that all you know, yeah. popped up. Um, I really like, I, I agree with you, from any kind of gaming, you should pick up the Season 2 plot deck, and then when the Season 3 and each season after comes out, stay mm-hmm. current with those. Yeah. Um, well, and you're going to need them for any, for any kind of competitive play. Right, you know, uh, you're going to need the the current season's deck. Yeah. Now, I would jump. You know, after that, I would. Ju- I actually strongly recommend picking up a big league deck, and then hounding your local pundit or getting ambitious yourself and starting a big league. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the big league locally has actually had really good success, and that was with good. me running it remotely. Good. So. Well, and I think that the. Uh... The, the big league down here is either starting this week or next week. Uh, wish I could find the time to play in it. It's just not on a day that I can commit myself. But uh, I do uh, I do look forward to hearing reports of, of the goings-on in it because big league just it, it looks like something that is so much fun to play. I mean, especially if you're going after one of the specific titles and uh, – you know, there's there's a lot of fun to be had there, but yeah. uh, you do really need to follow through on your commitment if you join one, and that's just not a position that I'm in. You know, uh, I can only play alternate weeks, kind of a thing, and that's not fair to the uh, that's not fair to the the guys at the store. So, dinner table league for me, unfortunately, that's <laughs> the, that's where we're at. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, so hopefully that helps Tim. Now the 
The next question we had was from uh, Chris Smith, who wants to know, should guild and union influence be separate pools on a team? So what he means by that is if you've got, you know, five uh, guild players and one union player, should the the five guild players combine their influence at the beginning of a turn and then distribute only to the five guild players and then the one union player be sort of his own pool and, it, and this is not a great example because of course he would always get back exactly the same amount so let's say four guild players and two union players um but that's the the heart of his question and it, you know this is this is one of those ideas that 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 pops up every now and then it's just sort of that that question of uh it sort of gets to the core point of should union be treated the same as other players and can they be balanced and should we encourage or discourage people from taking union and we're really getting on a lot of sub subjective things and and personal play choice things and fluff inspired things and uh, basically, I th my opinion on this is that if the union players are designed well, then there should be nothing about them that is different from a guild player. Um, if the if the design is perfect, you wouldn't need to have a guild-only ability anywhere in the game. You wouldn't need to have, you know, any discussions about should you put a cap on the number of guild players or should they have influence pools, separation or any of these things, they should just, it should just flow. Now we do know that that's a balancing act that has proved to be very difficult and that we are seeing a trend towards more guild specific abilities. Um, I'm not sure if that helps or hurts the game to be honest. So let me ask you a question, Phil. Yeah. What is so bad about guild players or more importantly, why do you think people are so adamant about guild only, guild only, guild only? So offended by a union player? I don't know. I guess maybe does it mostly come from union players who are just being protective of their assets? I would say no, because I, I I'll say looking at the forums and looking, looking out in the different communities I've traveled through in the U S yeah. And so I'm, I'm looking at the forums, I'm looking at Twitter to get, get my insight from overseas and listening to podcasts. I'm I'm looking at the communities I've played in in the U.S. and uh, I don't see a lot of union players. Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of people playing, you know, playing just union. Right. So what baffles me is this complete, you know, you should be playing your alchemists with just alch alchemists. Well, okay. Um, if I take. You know, great example. Well, no, I would never take Harry the Hat, but I mean, if if I take Hemlock, Mist, and Snakeskin, I'm throwing out poison clouds. I'm throwing out smoke clouds. I'm poisoning people. Um, if I then go ahead and, you know, 
in, in I'm sorry, in my alchemist team. So I'm looking at alchemists, and then I take avarice and greed, who who everybody's taking. How is that that drastically of a different team than taking vitriol, venom, and and calculus? Well. Uh... Same set of abilities. Right, I know. And, I mean, for me, it, it shouldn't be an issue. I think that you should be able to credibly and without without penalty play four union players and then your captain and your mascot. I think that's the the objective of the, of the game's balance point was for that to be a... An option, but I just... and I know there's been some feel that union in some cases is overrepresented, but I, I then I, and I probably should have asked this of, of Matt or Loxham or Jamie or somebody at Gen Con. If you were to take any other player, if you were to take, if you were to take Spicket, if you were to take uh, Vitriol, if you were to take you know any of those other players and give them three other guilds they can show up with, don't you think they would show up regularly across all those guilds? Mm-hmm. Especially if that they were a model that could fill a gap or fit sure. in with that guild. Oh sure, I mean we could go we could go to every guild and there's a player who I would love to play in every team. You know, I mean I'd love to have Spigot on every team. I'd love to have Mallet on every team. Right. I'd love to have Shank on every team. Um, and the thing is, I think that if we pull out the, the, the high performing players in guild and we pull out the high performing players in union, that those players compare well in terms of their ability. But I still think that, I I think what it boils down to is that there, there's, I think two thoughts happening here. And the first is a maybe an aesthetic thought that just says that, you know, I would prefer that the factions be pure. And, you know, I, I think that that is just a way that some people see games in general. Uh, I think that there's a fear of min-maxing that comes with the ability to, to mix your, your force from different factions. And I think that based on the history of other games, and to be honest, the history of certain players in Guild Ball, that there there was something to be feared from specific high-powered players becoming overrepresented in mixed forces. But I do think that uh they've done a, a a good job so far of knocking down those problems as they've emerged and let's not kid ourselves you know this game was was never going to be perfect from the start and we are still you know 18 months in we're still in the bug squashing phase right and I, I'll, there's I'll a couple of bugs right now that need to be squashed frankly my uh i, I maybe it's because i Yes, I started with uh, Masons, but moved to Union fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because Union right now is my primary team. But every time, and I said this actually early on, when when the first couple of corrections, the first couple of erratas on Union uh, that really heavily hit Union came out, um, I I would ask, why does every fish team have grayscales in it? 
Right. Right. Why does every Mason's team have, you know, either chisel or mallet in it? I think they're overrepresented. Um, I, I, there are times when I have that gut reaction that for that, just because union is out there and has the ability to show up on a couple of other teams, they are more harshly judged and almost unfairly judged. So not that I'm a big union defender here, but you know, Hey, I did grow up in the North. So, (laughs) well, plus gutter was broken. Um, but that, but, but even, okay, that's fine. Gutter is, gutter is one thing, but I mean, you know, no, no, I understand completely. And like I said, I, and, and hemlock, the hemlock was broken and you know, let, let's go on and on and on with the uh, with the models oh, that were broken. Boy. Yet we still have a Harry the Hat. You know, Harry is secret tech. All right, all right. So, uh, so yeah, and I think that at the end of the day, that the game should continue to aspire to uh, a state where there was no mechanical restriction between union and and guild and if we're if we're not at a point where that can happen or if the game has already grown too big for that to be a realistic goal then it needs to be addressed in its own way but yeah i would like to see a couple of union only models i think that would be nice other than the captains and mascots by the same token i don't think there needs to be any additional restrictions put on and i don't think there's enough players in every team to even start to look at it that way Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we're still we're still doing kind of shallow player pools and and putting too many restrictions on union i mean the whole one of the whole points of the union in season one in the first place was to provide a selection pool right when there just weren't that many players. And at this point, I don't know that we're still so flush for choices that, <laughs> but your, that your we choices don't need them to fill that role. <laughs> well, I was going to say, your choice right now is is very technically, it's, it's one or the other captain, one or the other mascot, and four of the eight models you can choose. Because mm-hmm. veterans are an exclusive choice. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I don't know. I do think that I do think that the 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 opinion that that union should be restricted for purely, you know, on on account of feels is not necessarily a a useful opinion in the, in a debate. You know, you're free to do what you want. But, you know, if you want to have a discussion about where unions stand mechanically, I think that that's that's worth. uh, Well, and one of the reasons I would be a little uncomfortable with the with the suggestion that was made is if you I think if you restrict that, you do two things. One, yes, you're going to you're going to push harder towards a pure guild team. Um you know, all white all the time. Uh, you're also going to push harder towards a, if I'm going to take one union member, I might as well take them all. Mm-hmm. 
Although, let's be honest, if you take rage, you pretty much do that already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he brings one, he gets one. It's all, it's all there is to it. No, right, but I mean, I guess what I'm looking at is, you know, like I just said with the alchemist. Yeah. If, if I'm going to take one or two alchemists, I might as well take four. Yeah. And that's pretty much the same on every team, mm-hmm. right? If I'm gonna if I'm gonna take one or two, you know, if I'm gonna take if I'm gonna take rage or gutter with my butchers, I might as well take avarice and greed, decimate, you know, gutter or you know, take them all. Yeah. And that way, I keep a pure pool. I think that's and that's going to push a whole lot of people and and really, I mean, wow, what a quick road to reducing even more diversity in the yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we are we're we're certainly in, in unison on that. We don't like what that suggestion does to to the way that you handle your team or, or to team selection. And I think that the the real takeaway though is not so much that we don't like that suggestion; it's that we we want to live in a world where there's nothing wrong with union. Yeah, I agree, and I, and I, th- I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't want people to take my negativity as, uh, you know, don't make comments because we love the questions. It, it starts good discussion and starts good ideas, even if they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we actually had uh, some other questions regarding <laughs> player changes. So I think we're going to go ahead and kind of block these together as a, as a little. Uh, uh, continuing the subject almost. That's um, LD asked us if we thought that the ongoing character changes were going to be a problem for the game. So what he means is the, you know, we had a couple of erratas and then a a substantial card revision in, um, you know, seasons one and two and the um, the expectation that we will see. Uh, continued changes in in season three and at what point does change how, at what point do we have too many changes for the game to be to to be healthy uh, and you know honestly this is a topic that that I that I worry about a lot you know I mean I've had, I've had enough conversations with Jamie P on this specific concept that I'm sure he does not want to ever have another conversation with me on this specific concept. <laughs> um, because I, unsurprisingly, care a lot about the, uh, the sort of the, the PR of the game, right? And and there there's always a part of me that secretly would rather something be broken than than uh confessed you know what i mean like uh, like there's a part of me that always says that if it's not a big issue don't let it be an issue just you know say oh this is fine and it's 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 pretty much that meme that we have going around on the internet right now the dog in the burning building just saying this is fine <laughs> yeah i i and i think that mindset is in line with uh, I, that's very similar to what i said right. with the first errata right i didn't feel they were necessary it would be better to leave it 
Right, right. But then in retrospect, the game got better. And I think that's where I... That's where my mind is often changed on these items is I fear the change when it's coming. I'm always worried that the the player base is going to throw up its collective hands in disgust and and take (laughs) to the streets. But then I see what the changes were and it's almost always the case that I'll sit there and say, oh, but I want this new card more. Right. You know, oh, this is this fixed the problem or oh, this player is so much more fun now. And at the end of the day, that's the intention here, right? Is it's not to change the game. It's not to punish it's not to punish certain tournament players who show up with too many of the same character. It's not to it's not to ruin your favorite guy. It's to make the game better. And when the game gets better, it's easy to quickly forget that we had to go through a an uncomfortable transition to get there, I think. Um, if there was ever a point where the game wasn't getting better, if it was just change for change's sake, then I think that... Or even change in the wrong direction, I think that I would be... I would be the first and loudest to to put up a complaint. But thus far, I think that change has been has been largely, if not completely positive for the game. Now I think the important part here is thus far. Right. And the danger becomes when I so so right now, if you look at how Steamforge acts how they behave, right? Uh, the people in power. You have the 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 people like Jamie P, the people like Matt and Loxum, the people, right? Um, uh, DC with his new game coming up. They're all plugged into the community. They are not just showing up at at big conventions like a Gen Con or a Salute, selling stuff, looking at those events and leaving, but they're doing their road trips. They're going to separate events. The people are still playing. They're still playing their own game. They haven't they haven't fallen back to, this is the game I develop as a job, so I'm going to play test this specific situation, make a decision about a change to the rules that I think is balanced and move on. They're still taking a lot of community feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, in lots of ways, not that they're not making the decisions and all the feedback may not be coming in as direct, ask a question, get an answer, but they're taking a lot of feedback in watching how the competitive meta is developing, watching how the non-competitive meta is developing, going out to game stores and playing their game weekly, monthly, quarterly, you know, things along those lines. When that stops and they begin to brick themselves into, even if it's not an ivory tower, into a tower and stop playing their game regularly, then there becomes a danger of the change that they believe is necessary, their community doesn't. And that ends up splitting communities. Sure. 
And so far, they, I mean, look, I, I have the deepest respect for how well they've done so far. And I think that, and that was the important thing I wanted to pick out of what you said is so far, they have done a fantastic job. And as long as they keep behaving the way they do, I don't see any reason why that would change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that that is a, um, that just falls into the challenge of, uh, for the designers to to maintain that that record but um it's like i said every every change fills me with dread and <laughs> as soon as it hits it fills me with excitement so as long as i guess as long as that uh roller coaster is maintained we're good <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. So, what's another question that we got this week? Um, let's see. the uh, The Gentleman's Gilball Club asked us if we thought that we will eventually see players move guilds in the storyline. Now, this has been kind of a promise of the game since the start. You know, that's one of the one of the things that Matt used to love to talk about in in, in interviews when he was when he was introducing the game to. Uh, to people on podcasts and whatnot was this ongoing story element. And one of the examples that always came up was, was that you might see a player move from one guild to another. And thus far we've not seen it, although we've had a few, a few cases where there were, where hints dropped that maybe there was some, some desire on the part of certain players to, to make that transition. But so far, we've only seen veterans sort of stay within their own, within their own ranks. Although, for the for the sharp-eyed fluff reader, the um, this seems to be a change come up recently. Yeah, so um, you might want to go back and take a look at the the fluff that was written and revealed for Tater uh, just before Gen Con. And think long and hard about who that might be who is training that team. And uh, get back to me on that. Because, yes, uh, we like to call her Gimpy. <laughs> so um, is, that a, is that a player who has changed teams? Uh, we don't know yet. But uh, I think that um, there might be some... Uh, there might be some some hints littered in the uh, in the text there, so go reread that and um, maybe uh, think a lot about nicknames that certain players have along the way. Hop along. <laughs> no, not the nicknames that you're making up. The ones that are actually in their bio biogra- 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 biographical entries. Now, Phil, I think the real question, though, right? I I, I love that question. Do we think players are going to change guilds? But the real question is, for any long-term Guild Ball Tonight listener who knows that Rage is able to play for every team in the game, (laughs) how soon will we get the Rage stretch goal for Dark Souls? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, that question would have made a lot more sense when they're actually running the campaign, wouldn't it? Although I do believe that as of tonight, you have four days to get in on the uh, the Dark Souls uh, Kickstarter uh, late pledges because they send me an email every day about it, even though I I 
backed it already. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, all right. So I think we've covered, we've covered as much of that as we, we want to. Um, so, uh, let's see. I just want to know, Phil, why don't you like pie? Why don't I? Like, I don't know. I think it's the crust. I honestly, I intensely dislike pie crust. So, so Lon's the answer to Lon's question is clearly I could eat more. Yes, pie, by by pie taking pie. a single bite, you would yes. you would beat me. Um, although strangely, I'm not a big cake fan either. You know, I uh, I'm not a dessert guy. I, I think I'd Strudel? rather I would rather end a meal with another appetizer than a dessert. Is generally what it comes down to. I'm a, I'm a salt addict. I'm not a sugar addict. Huh. So, uh, let's see. What is next? Um, the uh, Kevin Finch asked us, ox or fillet? Um, I'm not really sure what the context is, though. Um, is it is the question who um, who shaves more? That's probably fillet. Uh, is the question <laughs> who is the better poet? Definitely ox. Uh, if the question is, um, who, um, well, I just thought of, uh, something that I would probably have to change the rating on the, the podcast. Yes. If I asked yes. That and that would be f- both. Uh, yeah. Well, fillet. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so really it gets down to, it really gets down to the question. Right. And so, so answering his question in a little bit less snarky way, the answer is still, What's the question? Uh, and that, by let, let by me, saying that, what I mean is, yeah, because I can channel Kevin. Okay, and I understand what his question is. Okay, the proper pronunciation is ox yeah. and Phil. Go ahead. A a a right. <laughs> it's like a Canadian U. <laughs> it is. So. Um, so, so really, it, it's what game do you want to play? Uh, they nope. they run a totally different team uh, in terms of personnel, and they run a totally different play style on the board. Now, Filet is a you know Filet is a six influence captain, and that is a play style. Um, it's one that frustrates me deeply. Hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. So if I was, if I was feeling the butchers, I would probably lean towards ox on principle, but I also like ox's combined arms team game anyway. Um, you know, ox runs a team fillet gets 10 points, you know, (laughs) that's basically what it comes down to. If not 12. Uh, so do you want a, do you want a team built around a captain or do you want a, uh, a team built around its players? And that is sort of how you choose between, I think, Ox and Filet. And it's also how you choose between Hammer and Honor to a certain extent. It's how you choose between, uh, well, I mean, I guess Obulus and Scalpel can both be, can both be greedy. Yeah, they're both pretty good. Uh, Midas and Smoke. Smoke doesn't need much influence. Uh, Midas wants it all. Tapper and Esters. Esters doesn't need a lot of influence. Tapper wants it all. Um, you know, this is a this is a pattern that we see repeated a lot in in the design of captains, where 
they gave us one who's an individual performer and one who is a who is a team leader and uh that dichotomy is just very pronounced on the on the butchers because filet is such a such a completely greedy uh such a such a a strongly focal player that it really it really becomes a uh you know a very much two-sided coin when you when you're choosing those teams so you know the it, it's easy it's easy to to have the models to play both but if you had to pick one or the other then what 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 game do you want to play and I think each one of us has got a different answer to that question. I mean, not just Bill and I, but just in general as players. You know, some people love the six influence captains. Some of us, not so much. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, the game was designed to accommodate both. And it does so pretty well. So just uh, go with uh, go with your feelings on... Um, uh, channel Yoda and you'll be all right. <laughs> so, and then I think we've got, we've got time for one more, I think. Yeah. I really like Mart's question. You like Mart's question. So, yeah. um, with all the different international metas, how difficult will it be to continually rebalance the game? Uh, I Why think don't you, the real, don't you start this Yeah, answer? I think I the real answer to this, answer to you on this one. The real answer to this is going to be truly seen um or at least influenced and we'll get a get a view into this at the World Championship, the competitive world championship. Um I think they've done a good job keeping things balanced, and I think that has nothing to do with the metas. That has to do with the game. You're always going to I <laughs> Let me get away from you're always going to. Uh, one of the questions I tossed out to um, Jamie and Bryce at Gen Con was in relation to tiebreak versus Black Orifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question was really quite simple. How accurate was the, you know, they collect stats in tiebreak of all the sanctioned tournaments uh, Black Orifice collects stats of the tournaments that are that are submitted and in input into Black Orifice, and then both of those sets of stats can be used to figure out or to look at an overall uh, win percentage sort of idea of balance across the game. And you know, when I asked both Jamie and Bryce, "Hey, how close are the Black Orifice numbers?" to what they're seeing in tiebreak, their answer was pretty damn close, almost almost spot on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I go out there and I look at the full range, and, and anybody who doesn't know, you know, as a quick primer on, on the Black Orifice, you go to the Black Orifice Guild Ball ranking site, uh, plug in the latest errata or the latest time um, a set of, a, a, a new set of models got released. I like to use the 18th of April which is when all the captains were fully put into play. Mm-hmm. And then 
uh, you can put the the percentage that a player wins. I like to leave it at zero to one hundred. That says show me every player win percentage. So the people that lose the most, all the way through the people that win. You're only talking about if you take hunters out, who are the newest team and have the least number of games played. You're talking about a ten percent variance from forty-five to fifty-five percent win rates, and across the teams that don't include the hunters. Um, and, and to give you an idea, I mean, hunters are well below uh, more than one hundred and twenty. They're about one hundred and twenty games off the next lowest played team, and overall. I mean, that's a pretty damn balanced game. That's not a meta thing. That's across the U.S., the U.K. Uh, well, I, okay, I'm sorry. It doesn't include... Uh, I see some New Zealand numbers in there, but it doesn't include uh, heavy Australian numbers yet. But across the entire U.S. and U.K., which are the two, two of the three major markets, you have a 10% variance in win rates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that level of balance has nothing to do with a specific meta or specific area favoring certain models. You don't balance those models because a certain area favors them. Right. Well, and I think that that gets to the heart of my answer, which is that looking too hard at what a specific group is doing or not doing can actually do more harm than good. Uh, because if you have a if you have a location where for one reason or another, like like Chicago, certain teams are overrepresented and uh, overestimated, then uh, changing the game because of that may have a domino effect through the rest of the global community and an offset a balance that was not out of phase as it is now i do think that i do think it's possible for certain communities to to catch on to small issues in the game uh, and make them more visible, uh, but that does not. That doesn't even make it <laughs> worth changing it, just because that one, uh, that one group, sort of is doing something strange. Because I think that it's it's really incumbent on 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 the designers to to keep that sort of thousand foot view above the game to keep things like the 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 overall win loss numbers in mind and even in cases where they maybe see that there's maybe something that needs a little bit of a tweak if it's not a natural time to make that change and it's not a natural opportunity to make that change you know don't rush to don't rush to to address it right uh, the, because these things are much more, they're, they're much more nuanced than any one group of 10 or 20 people could possibly, uh, fully reveal. 
So what, what I would say is simply don't use international or local metas, although I, I, I still hate that word. Uh, Why do you hate the word meta? I, because it's, because it, it's community-specific. Um, it's not used outside of a couple of specific games. Hmm. And uh, because so many people who play Gilbar are from those particular games, that's not realized. And it's just such a weird word. I, I just I prefer to just say communities. Uh, so um, yeah, so I think that I think that it, it it's 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 a good idea not not to be ignorant of what local groups are doing. But to definitely pay ninety percent of your attention to what the what the global uh, you know aggregate looks like, and to 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 use to to use a local group more as a weather vane than a. Uh, a radar, you know. So, uh, if you do see something emerge that is unusual, take a look at it. See if see if it is an early warning, or if it's just a quirk. You know, is it signal or is it noise? Because local groups are going to generate a lot of noise and a very little signal. And that is uh, that is why it is better to have things like the the black orifice and the and the tiebreak numbers guiding your hand than uh, Facebook posts. <laughs> and that's and that's, that's that. all you got to say about that's that. All I got to say about that. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble if I talk too much more. All right, so. Uh, that's, that's two hours. I think we're good. I would agree. So, uh, so Bill, thanks for, uh, thanks for popping in on the, uh, the show as, as usual. I appreciate oh. your, your, uh, uh, taking the second chair and, uh, guiding the, guiding the ship with a stronger well, hand than I do. You know, I had to, I, 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 I got Tate to step aside for, you know, an episode so that I could slide into his seat for a bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, some people are just always around at 10 PM when I need to fill content. Uh. <laughs> See that part you might need to cut out. <laughs> eh. Whatever. Uh, I'm gonna go dull coat my hunters and, uh, of course, spray that inside the house so that I can then be nice and lightheaded when I go to sleep. Uh, that sounds like a plan. I think I'm just going to uh, I'm just gonna go pass out because it's uh, it's pumpkin time for me. So I feel like we said the same thing. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> Good night, Phil. Good night, Bill. Good night, listeners. Good night, Moon. Knees up. Watch the knives. To join the conversation, 
Comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Punting Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamers Lounge Podcast. Check them out on iTunes. Also, feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps. But when you do, don't write a review of the show. No. Instead, just tell everybody why you love Flint so very much. Guild Ball is property of Steamforged Games Limited. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not represent the official position of Steamforged Games, Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, Aperture Laboratories, or even the other hosts and guests. Dogs barking can't fly without umbrella. It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner. You're darn right, sucker. Follette is not a poet, because you need a soul. And uh, and I think that may be an upcoming segment.